And we are live for the 112th episode of the Bronx Bomber Battle podcast, sponsored by Six Pack Coverage. Tonight, it's G, it's Alex, of course, I'm Andrew. What's going on, gentlemen? We are here. It's the 2022 regular season preview episode. What's going on? Not too much. It is, as the day we are recording this, it is Monday, April 4th, and this week we have opening day, so I'm pumped. The date that we thought even just a few weeks ago would be, I don't know, never. Yeah. So, yeah, pretty good. We're doing pretty good. And, you it know, really honestly. crazy. You go back, like, a month, and we were all gloom and doom, and, oh, these fuckers can't figure out how to how to negotiate. No one's. No one wants to win here whenever they get the start of the season. I think I said they were going to miss 40 games. I think we all kind of agreed that the first month of the season was going to get washed out. And lo and behold, they're going to play 162 games this year. Yeah, I think we all just kind of, you know, accepted the fact that it was not going to be 162 games. Um, and if they didn't finag- if they didn't find some way to finagle some, some of the extra games into the schedule, it wouldn't be, but they're playing some double headers they managed to get the lockout over at a decent ish time so that they weren't going to miss that many and we're getting a full season even if it is going to be another weird season because it's not going to be your normal season for the third year in a row but either way it's going to be a full baseball season and you know for us it's been a very difficult roller coaster of an off season but honestly now that we're at the end of it i think we're all just you know pumped to have baseball finally back in terms of the actual season as a whole i think it's going to be significantly more normal than the last two have been but yeah i mean if it had gone on any longer it wasn't about to be but thank god we don't have to worry about that anymore and for another whatever five years hopefully and Alex, you said it, and and I hate myself for it. I'm gonna resent this in probably a month, maybe less, and then we're just all gonna just be sad. But uh, you start feeling it, right? It, it, mm-hmm. The spring training is coming to an end. The the start of the regular season is rapidly approaching. We're what? Not quite 48 hours, but uh, not 72 either. Uh, so about two and a half days at this point. And you start getting that itch, right? That oh, I'm ready, ready for baseball. I'm excited for what this team's going to do. You start letting yourself believe again. And if you go back a couple weeks ago, the, the the tone of Yankees Twitter, certainly this podcast, has been lukewarm at best, right? Just because we, we didn't do what we thought we were going to do in the offseason. Now, that being said, the teams looked really good in spring training. The acquisitions that they made to address the holes, the, the defensive deficiencies, the base running deficiencies, uh, the high strikeout rates, they, they've addressed it. And it, it looks good, but I, I really, really am trying to rein myself in and not get too fired up uh, until it actually translates to regular season success. Yeah, and there's some logic behind that. But at the same time, you know, we went this entire offseason. We went, you know, three months without having anything at all, which – you know, we obviously have kind of gotten used to that. We went through a long period when, you know, the pandemic was first starting out um, where we had no idea when baseball would happen next, where which is this was kind of the same type of thing. But now that we have, you know, the season starting in 
three days, we kind of look back on it and we're like, oh man, this is this is happening. And you know, like you said, you want to not get too excited because this team right now is not what we envisioned at the after the wild card loss last year. So, are they better than they were last year? That's something that we would have liked to, you know, have a definitive answer and say, yes, they are definitely better. We can, we know for a fact that they're going to be better. Right now, we're just kind of looking at this roster and we're going, okay, they could be better if some things kind of fall into place. And that's kind of how they've been the last few years. So, you don't want to, you know, set yourself up for failure as we have time and time again with the team the last couple of years. Um, I think they're definitely better, which, you know, I mean, you have to play it on the field and, you know, the division's probably better overall and all that stuff. I think in terms of just like quality of play, they're definitely better. I think at the very least, I'm going to enjoy watching them more, uh, you know, organizationally, like philosophy wise, you know, they didn't go out and, you know, sign the Correas and, you know, do all that big money, throw it around, you know, like the Dodgers are pretty much the only team doing, um, Consistently, anyway, but like, I think they're definitely I better. Would, I would disagree on that one. The Dodgers only signed Freeman this offseason. It is funny you think about that. How we're we were as mad as we were when all these teams were going out and doing things. Yes, the Dodgers signed Freddie Freeman. The Red Sox signed Story, but like other than those two, yeah, and even other look, than those look two what signings, the Blue Jays yeah. did. Rather, we mentioned on our last podcast, the Blue Jays went out and they got. Kevin Gosman, they got Yusei Kikuchi, mm. they traded for um, Chapman. Matt Chapman, right? They extended Jose Barrios, but they also lost Robbie Ray and Marcus Semien, who were two of the best players last year. So, yeah, everything got better in a way, but it wasn't like overwhelmingly, hey, the team that was the World Series runner-up went out and signed three of the top five free agents, and now they're just a powerhouse yeah. of an actual absolute behemoth. So I agree that there is still some parity to be had. I just... I think we all expected that we'd have a little more comfort, a little more ammunition coming into the season. And, a little and more fireworks. Not, yeah, and, and we're not quite now. there, but the team does have a, a really good ceiling. And I think more importantly, we saw with the Braves last year, is you don't need to be an absolute dominant, you know, a, a, a monster all season and then carry it through October. You just need to be good enough to get into the playoffs and then get hot, which I know is a cliche. You see it more often in football, right? With a lot of wildcard teams in the last decade or two winning Super Bowls. You don't see it as much in baseball because it's a team. It truly is still a team sport. Uh, you need like three or four really good starting pitchers to carry you through that. But I think at this team, and I believe it was G who said it on, on the last podcast that what they did is they didn't necessarily bang out the ceiling, like just, fire through, you know, the cannons through, but they did raise the floor a lot. And we yeah. saw when they hit rock bottom a lot last year, it was ugly. It was miserable. We all wanted to die. And I, I think and we, we can avoid Andrew some Velasquez of that. Velasquez in a wild card game. Yeah. yeah. And honestly, it, that's not even last year either. It was the pandemic year as well, where there were some stretches of time where the team was borderline unwatchable. You know, they would be running out an offense that would be during 2020, it'd be Voight hitting a solo home run, and that was their offense for the game. Where last year, it was kind of the same type of thing, where you'd have Judge and Stanton contributing, and then you'd get maybe like two or three other base runners, 
the entire game, and that was a good majority of the season. They just got lucky because their pitching was so good last year. And look, we're going to get into a position-by-position preview so we can talk about who underperformed last year, who we're expecting bounce-backs from this year. And I think a lot of that will shape who who they are this year uh, as an identity. But uh, quickly, let's just do some tie up some loose ends from, from spring training. Like we said, it's the last week. Uh, we, we've had a, a lot of good performers in the past week or so. Uh, and then, of course, the Yankees made two minor minor moves. So um, let's do a quick roundtable. I guess we'll start with with Matt. Who is one player who stood out to you more than any other in spring training this year? Um, am I allowed to say Aaron Judge? Like, yeah, of course. It's not, yeah, go for know, it. it's not, you know, a deep cut or anything like that, but he just looks so ready and he looks so locked in and never, you know, it hasn't been a question of like, oh, is he good enough? It's always the last couple of years been like the freak injury with the wrist or, you know, this or that here or there, a little nagging thing. But like he just coming off last year when he finally played 140 games, like he just looks so ready. And, you know, it's all been nothing's been about his performance this spring. It's all been about the contract. But like the man, it just looks ready to go. And I'm super excited for the potential of a healthy season. You know, he batted 415 in spring training and um, he just looks really, really great. And I hope that we get this contract signed so that we can not worry about it and just appreciate for him for how good he hopefully will be. So let's go. Who do you got? Yeah, honestly, I'm going to go very unconventional here, and I'm going to go with IKF because, honestly, he he right now has gotten the most at-bats of anyone in spring training so far, and he's hitting 394. So, obviously, we've kind of made it very clear that he's not going to be hitting 200. He's He'll go, you know, 260, 270, but a lot of those will be singles because he has no power at all. But one thing that I've seen a lot of different comparisons of this spring is that he worked out with Justin Turner a lot in the off season. And if you look at the two of their swings side by side, their batting stances, their load, it's their swings. They're very, very similar. And I'm not saying he's going to turn into Justin Turner 2.0, but I think he looks a lot better than we expected him to. Yeah, and, no doubt. Yeah, it looks like to me he's the type that if he's just going to put the ball in play every time he goes out there, he's not going to strike out a lot. That's what they need. He can go out there and he can have a 7-10 OPS, but if he completely recreates the whole Yankees strikeout too much thing, I think that's a win either way because he's not in on this team to be you know the three hitter in the lineup. He's in the he's on the team for the D defense to put the ball in play and if he can do that then good on him it was i think the trade would have been a decent success then any offense he can provide after that is you know a a a plus but right now i see no reason to think that he wouldn't be at least capable offensively just based on what he's shown this spring so far i think that's a really good example of you know, the ceiling versus the floor thing we just mm. talked about, like, because he, you know, even if he batted 260 and all, you know, 80% of his hits were singles, that offensive contribution with the level of defense he'll play will have been better than what Glaber provided them exactly. for 75% of last year. 
And I mean, he had 25 doubles too last year. IKF did. So like, I think all together, um, it's great. It's great. Add, you know, you want a gold glove at third base. So it seems silly that we're talking about him playing another position, but like, I think he's just a great, great add, you know, even if he's batting seventh or eighth or wherever they put him, you know, it's a nice piece for the Yankees and we don't have to watch Glaber play shortstop anymore. So double. Yeah. Bonus. I think, I think that's a, that's a major plus here. It's so funny with, with Connor Falafa in, in just that, I think we were most disappointed in in his, him in, in that trade with him and Donaldson. Um, maybe a touch losing Geo just for sentimental sake, but I think we were more disappointed in acquiring Kiner Falafa. Not that we thought he was a bad player, but just we, we knew definitively that we were out of the running when yeah, yeah. guys like Correa and Story were still on the market. And, we and I knew. think that, that was that, that's something we, we as fans had to actually just level set and kind of mm. accept it was sobering and that and it took at least me for a few days to, to to get past that i know a lot of people looked at his low strikeout rate he, i think he was like 13.3 last year which is really good uh, especially when the league average is in, in the mid-20s um and, and you look at his batting average and he's hit around 260 270 280 the past few years but alex you mentioned in our in our chats a couple of weeks ago that uh, what a lot of people who look at batting average, and, and I know batting average is an outdated stat, but it still has some merit. A lot of people, what, what they don't look at is, well, how how's he getting on base outside of that? And his on base percentage last year was like 315, 313. It, so he's not drawing enough walks. Yeah. He had but, a, last year his walk rate was like 4% or something. Yeah. Like that. But, but you, again, you mentioned Justin Turner, right? So yeah. um, one important thing, and I, and I will call it out, um, a Doug Latta is, is the, the hitting coach who, Justin Turner worked with, uh, and before Justin Turner, I don't know if you guys remember, Marlon Bird had a pretty good mid to late career resurgence, and he worked with Doug Latta. So he was like the first guy that that started that. Uh, and essentially that leg kick that you see Turner uh, and kind of flip a, kind of in line, it, it helps them with their timing. It also helps them get the ball in the air more. And Justin Turner had no power when he played for the Mets, right? Yeah. He was always hitting around 280, 300, but he made a point of emphasis of hitting the ball with more authority. And his batting average didn't really suffer, which you see a lot when you when you go for home runs, you give up a little bit of an average, and, and Turner didn't. So again, you mentioned we're not going to get that kind of production from Connor Falefa this year, but if we get a, a 10 to 15 percent uplift of what we got last year, that's an awesome return mm-hmm. investment. And I think if you put it more into perspective and just see him as a stopgap who can provide a lot of value with his glove, he can put the ball in play then you can kind of get more excited for the possibility of him being on the team. Just the problem this offseason was we were sitting around waiting for that, you know, that signature move, the signing that was going to put the Yankees over the top. And then all of a sudden they go out and they get kind of Leffa and, and Donaldson in one move, which on paper was a good, you know, transaction because that drastically improved their defense it gave, gives them Donaldson, who is still a very capable hitter. He's very good in the clubhouse. He's the type of guy the Yankees – he's not very good in the clubhouse, but he's the type of guy the Yankees need in their clubhouse. The problem with that was they set – was in order to do that, you had to sacrifice Gio and Gary. And then they also got Rorfett back in the deal. So it just – it was a weird move to look at because – We've gotten so used to Gary at catcher. We, every Yankee fan in the world, loved Gio just because of his personality, how he played. And we weren't prepared for both of them to go out like this. 
But if you just take all the emotional aspects out of it and look at this as the Yankees upgraded from short, because now Glaber does not have to be shortstop anymore. They upgraded their kind of utility position because instead of like Wade or Velasquez, it's now DJ. And they got someone who might, he's older. He might be a little worse defensively than Gio, which is not saying much because, you know, the ceiling is very high there. But he's, Donaldson is a better defensive or offensive player than Gio is. Uh, to, to actually my player, we haven't even gotten here, and, and, I'll, and I'll be quick because we spent way more time on, on this segment than I expected. But uh, part of, of that deal, and yes, there was sentimental that it's sentimental loss and losing Gio, maybe so much, maybe a little bit some with Gary as well. But uh, G likes to say trading away Gary was addition by subtraction, and it's opened the door for who my spring trading <laughs> most impressed performer is. Kyle Higashioka, uh, I'm actually surprised neither of you guys took him because I had Josh Donaldson waiting in the wings as one of you claimed um, Higgy. But I'm going to go ahead with, with Higgy here. Uh, what a, a spring training he's had. Now, I really hope it's not like the, the next king of spring, right? We saw Greg Bird tear the cover off the ball every spring and then just be very mid to bad or hurt in the regular season afterwards. But Higgy leads the majors in home runs slugging percentage and OPS is second in RBIs. Now, is he going to be, a, is he going to have a resurgence season kind of like we saw from Salvador Perez last year? Absolutely not. But the fact that we're getting good production from him, and even if he can carry, I don't know, a 20 home run, 230 batting average season and, and be the number one catcher and, and have that good rapport with our ace, Garrett Cole, like, yeah, that's awesome. I'm totally down with, with Higgy to just not have like a coronation of a season, but really just to firmly establish himself as the primary Yankee catcher this year. Yeah, I think I've been thinking about the Yankees catching situation a lot. And the last couple of years, it's been Gary behind the plate with questionable defense. He'll hit, you know, for power average about, you know, 20, 25 home runs per 162 games. His average will be 220 ish. You know, he'll strike out a ton. And if you, if you put, the like trio of Higgy, Trevino, and Rortvet together, who are all drastically better defensively than Gary. And if from that trio you can get the same like twenty to twenty-five home runs through the combination of them, you're you you've improved the catching situation because you're getting the same offensive production, but you've also basically doubled the defensive value. So I think I really think that if Higgy can be somewhat serviceable offensively, you know, hit a bunch of home runs, even keep his average around 200, you know, get on base a okay amount, it it'll be just as good as when the Yankees had Gary because that say even if he's a little worse offensively, he's still miles better defensively than Gary. So I like your pick of of saying Higgy on that injury because he's really he's shown that he can be you know an offensive threat this spring and maybe he'll translate into this the uh regular season maybe not but at least he's not you know rolling over and dying offensively because if he came out here and he was you know four for 35 with a double and 17 strikeouts 
I think we'd all be in a lot worse spot mentally about how the Yankees catching situation. Yeah, right now. maybe. I don't know. I don't know if it would have mattered that much. I think you kind of, uh, and G said it before we went live here. The, a lot of times you just kind of throw away the catcher position, right? And like, whatever, it's fine. Um, it's awesome that he's getting the, the kind of production he is, but if he wasn't, I think we'd just kind of live with it. And then we'd really see it when it's him and Gallo and I don't know, Miguel Andujar coming up from the minors batting seven, eight, nine. <laughs> They're just automatic outs mm. here. But uh, let's just hope we don't see that. So let's be optimistic here. Uh, Gee, anything else you want to add in before we uh, before we move on? Uh, I like the I like the catcher. I think more, not more than anything, but like maybe as a sleeper thing. You know, we kind of said it. Um, it's not it's not great. You know, you're not finding like. You know, every other team around baseball has these like great two-way catchers. You know, the Salvador Perez's who play elite defense and hit 30 home runs or whatever. Like Gary needed to be the 30 home run guy in order to cover up for his horrible defense. Um, and last year he batted 230 and hit 17 home runs. So I think, you know, even if Higashioka bats 200 and hits 17 or 20 or whatever home runs, it's already better because the defense. And combined now with Jose Trevino and and Rortvet, the defense is just going to be miles and miles better. Which, like, I love Gary, but it's just the truth of the matter, and I think the Yankees will be better off for it. Yeah, and it's not even the the balls in the dirt, the pass balls, uh, the the errant throws in the center field. It's the pitch framing too. Like, we'll we'll we're going to get to that next, right? So um, before we we do our position by position breakdown of this team, uh, we do want to make a quick note: the Yankees made two trades this week, uh, traded Joely Rodriguez to the Mets for Miguel Castro, uh, who spent the last year and a half with the Mets, but before that was with the Orioles. So he definitely is very familiar with the AL East and has a lot of interesting peripherals. Like his, he had like a very, very high um, whiff rates. Uh, his uh, exit velocity numbers were like insanely low. Uh, obviously he has a really good fastball. Um, and, and I think that this new curve, well, the, the new slider, excuse me, that, that they're experimenting with this year and uh, rolling out a bunch of guys he'll take to that very well uh joey rodriguez and uh, what, what can you say he was good against lefties was really bad against righties i don't think we'll miss him especially because we already have chapman and Licky and peralta and potentially manny benuelos down the road uh, in 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 the bullpen so that's fine uh, the other move uh like we just mentioned uh was jose trevino from the texas rangers uh we traded away Albert Abreu is the big name there who never really panned out for us. Uh, Trevino is going to make the roster as the backup catcher because Ben Wortbett still hasn't gotten back from his oblique injury. Guys, let's talk about Jose Trevino's pitch framing skills. I think it was Talking Yanks who put out that that edit of him just catching ball after ball after ball, like six inches off the plate, and every single one of them was called a strike. Like, this dude is a wizard, and I think yeah, our pitch staff's going to love him. yeah. I, you know, one thing that I wanted to bring up before, um, but then you kind of, you kind of covered most of it, Andrew, is the fact that one of the reasons that the catching is going to be so much stronger this year is because pitchers are going to be so much more comfortable throwing to both Higgy and to Rorkred and to Trevino, because there was a lot of rumors last year that pitchers didn't really like throwing to Gary, which is why Cole started throwing, you know, specifically to Higgy. And stuff like that. So I think 
you put a guy like Trevino behind the plate who can get you a couple extra strikes throughout a game, that's only going to help the confidence of the pitcher. That's only going to help the confidence of the team. It's just, it's, there's no negatives for that. And it really doesn't matter if he's an offensive give up. Um, yeah, he's a backup. I, he's the backup catcher. Like I, I think, I think his OPS him. plus last year was like 65. So like he's very below average, but yeah. as a backup catcher, if he's, sure. if he's doing everything to make your pitching staff happy, and he'll draw a couple walks every once in a while. Maybe he'll pop three or four home runs over the course of the season. Like, whatever. It's fine. I'm, so I'm going to pull out my uh, memory skills here. And I'm going to say I'm like 90% sure Trevino hit his first career home run at Yankee Stadium. So now why would that be something that, that you remember? Well, because I know you remember all, only obscure stuff. You don't remember yeah. like who made the last out of the wild card game last year. But you would remember uh... Jose Trevino. <laughs> Potentially his first yeah. home run against the New York Yankees. Yep. I'm um, like 2018-ish. Anyways, you, you, okay, here's what we'll do. You guys get into Alex, the wrong. player preview. Oh, am I really? You're wrong. I'll let you, I'll, we'll get into the position player preview. You look gonna... it up to verify that you're wrong and, and then come back and let us know. It was his second wrong. career home run, Alex. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> But, My memory uh, has failed me. I, I think I think you get partial credit for that. All right, thank you, thank you. Anyway, right, so, position player previews. Yeah, yeah, I, absolutely. So let's we'll just keep just it right and catcher, catcher right? Once, so yeah, we, I mean, we've yeah, kind well, of we, we've kind of covered hit here already. Catcher. We've done IKF. We've done no. We, well, yeah. Let's let's put a bow on catcher. Um, and then we'll just go Al on Higashioka. Yeah, Kyle Higashioka is going to start and mm-hmm. play most of the games. And at some point, Ben Rodfett will be healthy. Um, Jose Trevino's been a major league catcher. So, like, you know, he doesn't offer the platoon, you know, the lefty thing that Rodfett does from the batting. But as we just mentioned, he's a absolutely elite pitch framer, so he'll factor in there somewhere. And who knows, maybe they're comfortable having Trevino be the backup most of this year and leaving Rorfett, you know, in AAA or, you know, to develop in some way without the pressure and, you know, trying to get more out of his bat. I don't know. But that, well, that's sure. the, the I think it's a really good the, the intention when they first traded for Rorfett in, in that IKF Donaldson deal was that he hits lefty and they could platoon him with Higgy pretty evenly, right? Uh, you're going to face more right-handed pitchers than you lefted. So I, I wouldn't think that they would play word fit more than Higgy. Higgy would certainly play whenever Cole pitched, regardless of who was pitching for the opposition that night. Uh, but you, you look at like who has options, who's under team control. I believe Trevino is under team control until like 2025. So provided he still has options, it looks like he has one, according to roster resource, um, they could use that. Uh, word bet, I'm not exactly sure about. Uh, I know he has team control as well. Um, okay, he has two options, so they could use that. They could burn it at this year and not have it be uh, an issue long term. So th- there is some flexibility there that they could send. They're going to have to send one of those guys down. They're not going to carry three light hitting catchers on the roster this year. But I- in some facet, they're going to carry two of those guys at all times based on health, based on who's hitting well or struggling or whatever it may be. And 
I, I'm pretty okay with that, right? We're, we're not, we're, we're no longer in the days of having offensive guaranteed production behind the plate, like the Jorge Posada years, even when like the Russell Martin years when he was really good, the first few years of Brian McCann, obviously the first few years of Gary Sanchez. Uh, I think that's kind of in the past and we kind of just have to live with getting by offensively at the catcher and making sure that they do their job behind the plate. I think we've gotten really spoiled the last like two decades with catcher just because we've kind of gotten to the point where we expect catchers to be good offensively. You know, Posada was around for almost two decades. We had, and then we had 2013 where it was Cervelli and Chris Stewart, but you know, that was bottom line for what were, what problems there were that year because everyone was injured. But then, you know, after that, it was McCann, who was very good um, offensively because he had a crap load of power. After that, it was Gary. So now we're kind of seeing that not every good team out there has a catcher who's going to go out and pop 30 home runs. Like, just look at the the biggest example of this is the Astros. The last few years, they've had Martin Maldonado as their catcher, who will routinely hit like 180 with no power at all. But it doesn't matter because they have a lot of offense to kind of negate that. And he's so good defensively that he provides value in other ways. So I think the Yankees are kind of going more in that direction where they're sacrificing offense for defense and in pitch calling, pitch framing, you know, everything that a catcher can do to call the game better, which is pretty much all the aspects of the game that Gary was not good at. So that's how, you know, the catching this year is going to be stronger because they have kind of just taken everything Gary was bad at and upgraded it. Cool. So we're, we're, we're finishing yeah, up with the catcher time. there. Um, the, the infield is going to be, I wouldn't say in flux. That's not really a good word. Maybe a little free ish uh, I, I think we're we're pretty sure that Anthony Rizzo will will be just the guy at first base this year, provided he's healthy. But it's going to be really interesting how the Yankees fill out second base, third base, and shortstop because they have four guys who can play those three positions. Uh, certainly, you don't trade for a defensive first shortstop like Isaiah kind of for without the intention of playing him there at least 140 times a year, uh, which would mean. Glaber doesn't have to play there all that much, if at all. Uh, certainly a guy like Marwin Gonzalez might be able to make the roster and spot there sometimes. But the real question is going to be how they get DJ LeMahieu enough at bats, because he's going to play 130 to 150 games here, uh, especially if he hits like he did in 2019 and 2020. So how do we see that all shaken out? Like how are they going to make sure that they get everyone consistent at bats while not benching people too much and taking them out of a rhythm when they're when they're hitting well if i had to take a guess i would say dj plays more third than he does anything this year just because donaldson is by far the oldest infielder on the team so and i think the yankees are going to really want to keep him healthy and we saw last year boone would not hesitate to rest guys if he thought there was any chance of you know him overworking them so I would say there's going to be a lot of games where Donaldson is DHing or, you know, just not playing, and DJ's at third. 
Yeah, I don't really, I don't know. I don't have a great answer for this one other than, you know, they're going to rotate. They're going to give guys, they, you know, it's it's great because, um, you know, he can play first, he can play second, he can play third, he can play them all pretty well. Um, but it's weird. And I guess the most likely candidate, I'd say, of all of them, just performance-wise, to get regular days off, in my opinion, would be Glaber. But, like, you know, I don't know. We'll see. If he comes out and he starts hitting like he, you know, did in previous years, hitting home runs, getting a little bit better production at the plate, then I think it could get awkward. And uh, I think that's a good problem to have, though. Oh, no, it's a great problem to have. But it's like, um, I don't know. We'll just have to see. But I think if, you know, if, if DJ hits like he did in like 2020 and, you know, winning the batting title kind of level hitting, then you got to get him in the lineup somehow. So, yeah, um, it, it I really is don't interesting. know. Alex, you mentioned if DJ is going to be playing more third base. Now you start thinking, provided Josh Donaldson is healthy, and that's, of course, a big if. Is he going to be sitting on some of those days that he doesn't play, or do they utilize the DH spot for him and potentially shuffle around the outfield to get all those guys a regular days off as well, and and don't just allocate the DH spot to one of Judge or Stanton or insert whoever else here, right? Like I could you, I, I could totally see them using I mean, I Donaldson. Think all, I, I, I think every guy really, most guys could get you know, you could get a lot of guys. Instead of a day off, a full day off, you get them a DH day, right? Judge and Stan, obvious ones, but even all of them, you know, Gallo, Rizzo, Donaldson is going to get a decent amount of DH days, I guess. Like, there's a lot of guys who could get those days. Yeah, I would think based on, unless you get in some dire situation where there's a lot of injuries or there's a COVID outbreak and there's a guy, a bunch of guys who are unavailable, that the younger, generally speaking, the younger players aren't going to occupy the DH space spots just because they don't need to, right? So a guy like Glaber, a guy like Isaiah Connor-Falefa, probably a guy like Higgy, uh, Joey, Joey Gallo. I don't know if they would throw those guys at DH just because there's better use of it with some of the older players or uh, maybe some more of the injury risks or whoever it may be. Uh, I, I could certainly be wrong. They could even throw Rizzo at DH if they want to throw, I don't know, DJ at first a few days, right? Um, so there, there's a lot of flexibility, and I think that's one thing that the team didn't have last year. And certainly it sucked trading away a guy like Luke Voigt, but he kind of clogged that up even further. So it's it just makes the roster a little more fluid. Yeah, to go off what you said, Andrew, I think one thing that really is going to help this team's flexibility is the fact that, if anything, Stanton proved last year that he's more than capable in the outfield. And he can play left or he can play right. Judge can play center or he can play right. Everyone, it seems like, has more than one position they can play now. So I think if you're going to DH someone like Donaldson, Judge, Gallo, Hicks, you're not sacrificing some Stanton's bat because you're just entrenching him as a DH, which is what they did the first couple of years that he was on the team. They kind of just didn't even consider him an option in the outfield. And they came out and said that too. It's not like us just being like, oh yeah, Stan sucks in the outfield. He can't play there. The Yankees have said before in recent seasons, they didn't view Stan as an option in the outfield. 
But just look at today. He threw out two guys running the bases. Um, It's not fair to Stanton. You know, the only reason why Stanton is not looked at as, like, a great outfield option is because Judge is just better. Stanton is a really good outfielder for his career. Stanton is also very injury-prone. No, it's I mean, just, yeah, that's it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't I mean, just and his primary position is right field, and you would think that it's transferable to left field, but he wasn't that great in left field in 2018. Yeah, that's why they kind of transitioned him. Then, of course, with injuries to DH, um, and you're not going to force him in right field unless you need to give Judge a half day off. But if Judge is healthy and capable of playing right field, that's your better option. Exactly. So, and I'm not I'm not saying you play stand in right field consistently, but. If, you know, you want to DH judge or you just want to DH someone else that isn't Stan, you know that you're not sacrificing defense by putting Stan in the outfield. Yeah, and this is actually working out really well because we, we've kind of seamlessly gone into Transition the outfield, to the outfield player, yeah. uh, player position. But um, I do want to point out, and one name has been mentioned a little bit, another name really not at all uh, on this podcast, uh, or really at all for like the last month or so, but... You look up and down the Yankees who are performing in spring training, and almost all the regulars are hitting around or above 300. Now, there's Stanton, who's a little under. I think he's like 270. Uh, you're not worried about him. Like, you know, he's he'll have some cold stretches, but when he's hot, he's like blue hot, right? So he's he's unbelievably good. Uh, you never worry about what if he was 0 for 10 with eight strikeouts in spring training, you wouldn't really all be that worried. He's a former MVP, figure it out, whatever, right? He hits mammoth home runs, awesome. But you look at two guys who are still struggling a little bit, and is this a potential cause for concern? It's Joey Gallo again, but that maybe he did have two hits today, and maybe just you got to expect him to hit under 250, just call it what it is. And unfortunately, Aaron Hicks is still struggling as well. So is he at risk of potentially not starting a lot of games here? Do they just maybe pivot Hicks to the fourth outfielder? I know they're paying him $10 million a year, but they're paying everyone else in that outfield more. So like, he doesn't have that spot guaranteed by any means, does he, guys? No, I wouldn't. I don't think he should. Yeah, I wouldn't guarantee that he's your starting center fielder for the whole season. I think he's got to prove it because he's been injured the better parts of the last two years. And even in 2019, he was injured for a good amount of the year. You know, he's coming off of Tommy John surgery. He's not in the best health he's ever been. Um, so obviously he's healthy enough to be playing semi-consistently in spring training, but I think he's going to have to come out and really prove that he's back to the Hicks in 2018 that hit, 27 home runs and had a like close to five war you know um yeah as much as it sucks to say i think that that guy i think that that ship has sailed that that's over and done with uh until he proves otherwise right if he comes back this year can hit 270 with 20 mid 20 home run power plays good defense stays healthy yeah, but like we talked about it on the pod a lot last year, where he was struggling a lot was as a left-handed hitter. And he's a switch hitter, and that's a lot of value if you're you're an adept switch hitter. But he really only was able to hit right-handed, and that doesn't really help his case into getting more at-bats. Um, I just want to cut everyone off here and say completely unrelated – that the Rays just traded just, Austin okay. Meadows to the Tigers. 
that that is a a, a weird trade and um, that's an odd trade for third baseman Isaac Paredes and a competitive you know, balance Rays, round that guy will be the next Mike Brasso right and mm-hmm. who, who of course had an iconic home run against us and they traded him one year after but like that's what how the Rays operate also yeah. that was literally like look the, the, if you if you go through the American League East who were the two guys who tormented the Yankees more than anyone else over the past few years you have Randall Gritchick and you have Austin Meadows Austin and now Meadows. they're both out of the division both so. of those have been traded yeah so I guess that's a win yeah I, I'm a little confused by it, but anyway, for the next tormenting, you know, consistently tormenting the Yankees. Oh, it'll uh, be wonderful. Ray to reveal itself, right? It'll be Wander Franco, and I'm perfectly ready for it. Yeah, but it's like, would you rather have to deal with that, or would you rather have been like a Cubs fan in the early in the early to mid 2000s and have a young in his prime Albert Pujols just demolish you for a decade? <laughs> like it's. Yeah, it can't be worse be, than that, that right? That could be what Wander Franco. Yeah, I mean, that could be what Wander Franco. I mean, Franco we had to deal with David play. Ortiz for 13 years. Yeah, yeah. So, like, whatever, we'll deal with it. All right, but look, yeah, back to the uh, the outfield real quick. What, what do we think? What's our, our final verdict on on uh, I, Judge I'm gonna, Stanton? They're, I'm going to say. What's our final verdict on Aaron Hicks? Yeah, I'm going to say Hicks is more of a part time, like 75% time player at the season's end. I'm going to say instead of. Like, say he's healthy for the entire year, which obviously is a big if. But if he is, I'm going to say instead of like, you know, 140, 150 games, maybe he's 120, 130. Maybe that gets inflated because he'll come in late for defense. Um, But I think one of the biggest things about Hicks that shows what the Yankees think of him in this spring is the fact that there have been games where Judge was playing center field and Hicks was playing left field this spring. And I think that's all you need to know about the Yankees' opinion on Hicks's skills right now. It, maybe they were just testing out Judge in center, but I think if the Yankees view Judge as a better center field option than Hicks when they're both playing, that's all you need to know about what they're planning to do for the outfield. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think um, there was a quote about that from Aaron Boone somewhere, um, but I think I think the general idea of that is right. Um, just based on the last couple of years, Aaron Hicks is not trending in the right direction. Um, I am of the opinion that if the Yankees had had the stones, that they would just run out a Judge, Gallo, and Stanton outfield most days. Um, but I, you know, because of their injury concerns, because of, you know, resting and all that stuff, they're not going to do that. Um, but I just think performance wise, Aaron Hicks shouldn't, you know, I think he will just because of the cachet he's had with the team. Um, I think he will be the starting center fielder most days to start the season. And I think by the end of the season, he shouldn't be, and I don't think he will be. And I think we're, we're best suited if, all three of us are dead wrong. Like if, if Hicks somehow has a resurgence, uh, that's good for the team long-term. And then you figure out where to play everyone else. Um, maybe even like if the Gallup thing's not working out or you can flip him for someone better at the deadline because Hicks has entrenched himself as the everyday center fielder again. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to start, I don't want to start drafting on that year, manifesto. But yeah, um, I, I agree with, with Hicks. 
And the biggest thing with him, obviously, like Alex, like G both mentioned, it's going to be health, it's consistency, it's the fact that he's been around the team since the start of this baby bomber era and really broke out in 2017 when the team went as far as they've gone the past decade. And he hasn't really lived up to it since. So uh, it, it is unfortunate, but I think we're just going to have to hope for the best. And if that means he becomes a part-time player and can come in and be a, a, a really good fourth outfielder, I'm okay with that too. Uh, but guys, let's swing it over to the, the, the pitching staff. Um, there's not a, a lot of question marks or, or updates, so to speak, here. The Yankees did mention that they may carry 16 position, uh, excuse me, pitchers on the opening day 28-man roster, which is a lot. It, it really shortens your bench. But uh, they mentioned a guy like J.P. Sears who had a good spring. J.P. Sears was told he's making the opening day. Yeah, I, I, so he, he's going to make it potentially. I know they, they said he definitely did, but then all the quotes after the game were, it's very likely, so I don't know why, oh, okay. they, why they needed to backtrack it with that. I, maybe it's just posturing. I have no idea. Maybe, maybe it's them not committing to 16 mm-hmm. pitchers, but I feel like a guy like Marinaccio would be the, the last guy out. That'd be a bad look if all of a sudden he's just like, yeah, oh, by the way, you're not yeah. doing it. Right. So, but like, like, let's quickly go through who on the team um, is, is going to occupy what roles. Like, obviously, Garrett Cole, Luis Severino, Jamison Tyone, Jonathan Montgomery, Nestor Cortez are your starting five in the rotation. I don't think there's any surprises there. Those yeah. guys have all had decent springs outside of Montgomery, who has not really looked that good at all. Montgomery um, has looked terrible, but honestly, it's again, it's spring training. Results don't matter as long as the pitchers feel good and their stuff and is there. And it's an abbreviated spring training exactly. kind of as well. And so. Severino looked terrible in his first two outings as well. And then he had that injury scare and you started thinking, oh, here we go again with the, we don't know what it is. We couldn't diagnose it. This time they just said it was what general soreness. General soreness, which I'm pretty sure he that's what they fight. said in 2019 too. No, I thought that was like, was that when he had Tommy John? Uh, no, that was when he had the shoulder problem. Oh, right, right. They, and they, they, that, that's when they, they took until, like, June to figure out what the hell was wrong with him. Mm-hmm. And then he came back um, basically for the playoffs. Yeah. But, so, again, he didn't look good in his first two outings either, but he did throw that bullpen, came here with healthy, made one final start. I want to say it was Saturday? Is that Saturday, maybe? Maybe it was Sunday. I don't recall. Uh, but he, he looked a lot better in that. Uh, I think it was like two shutout innings. So, look, he's going to have to work through work through it, right? He's going to have to knock the rust off. And I think the only short thing in the rotation right now, well, I would say two, I would argue there's two, is Garrett Cole and then Nestor Cortez at the back end. Nestor Cortez only because you don't expect him to pitch like a Cy Young. Yeah. Guy. And if he does, awesome. But like, you're happy if he's just a mid threes with his quirky deliveries and arm angles and everything like that. And Nestor, last, Nestor last season pitched like a solid number two starter, which I think was about as high as ceiling can be. Like, I don't expect him to be anything better than he was last year. But if he can go out there and just be like a solid back of the rotation guy, that's all the Yankees need him to be. And he's very fun to watch. He's a nice 
going to say, it's an extra bonus that he is wildly entertaining while he does it. Exactly. So he makes the Yankees better in the rotation just from an entertainment standpoint, honestly. But if he can go out there and, you know, not be terrible and just kind of use some of the potential that he unlocked last year, I don't have any problem with him being in the rotation. And I'll say about the rotation because I think it's pretty good and well covered for now. Um, I think we were probably all a bit bummed out when um, Sean and I got traded over the weekend and it wasn't to the Yankees, but like whatever expectations. Um, The Yankees as a whole, as a team, generally, in my opinion, you know, they're never complete until after the deadline and very rarely, you know, whatever, one or two or three times in the last like two decades, they've gone through a deadline without making a move. And I think if they are going to make a move this year, my guess would that it would be for starting pitching. Um, and that could be Frankie Montes. It could be someone else who becomes available during the season. But I'd say rotation-wise, that's where I'd expect the move to come. And I don't for, I don't see this rotation as completed until they pass the deadline, and these are still the five starters that they have. That's just my opinion. I'd be curious to see how, because you mentioned starters, uh, based on how the Twins fare, if a guy like Sonny Gray, who did not have much great success his first go around here, gets sick and tired of throwing a Gary Sanchez for a second time, and then he becomes available, uh, I think him under Matt Blake, as opposed to Larry Rothschild, and with really good defensive catchers, might actually be able to catch some lightning in the bottle here. That would be something to potentially keep an eye on. I don't know if the Yankees would want to go through that again after they got burned bringing back guys like Javi Vasquez a decade ago for a second tour of duty that did not turn out any better than the first one. I think if they wouldn't, if they didn't have to give up a lot for Sonny Gray, I don't think it, it, it's kind of a, you know, low risk, high reward scenario because you look at Gray in 2017 and 2018, he was throwing to Gary Sanchez and Austin Romine who, you know, Gary, his catching abilities speak for themselves. Romine was kind of, eh, he was average offensively. He was worse than people thought he was. He was way worse than people thought he was. Yeah, that's a very good way of putting it. Um, And you pair Sonny Gray with Higgy or Rorvet or Trevino, I think he could only get better. You know, I, I I can't imagine it could only it could get he could fall to the you know levels that he was in 2018. And then yeah. we saw in what was it 20 was it the the COVID shortened year in 2020 or was it 2019 when he was just lethal in Cincinnati? Uh, I think it was 2019. Yeah. So if you can recapture some of that magic then by all means, um, but I, I, again, there's going to be so many names that get tossed around as, as options, but I think G's spot on in that the Yankees are positioned this year where last year they needed left-handed power. They got Gallo and Rizzo. Uh, in previous years, they needed defense or bullpen or whatever. I, 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 starting pitching is always going to be a need, but I think in particular this year is that they have five decent starters. Cole 
could potentially win the Cy Young if he's on. So he's not decent, right? But as as a whole, the average of the five, they're, they're enough to get by. But if you can upgrade that position and give it a nice shot in the arm in July, I think that's a really important position to be looking at because as we're going to finish out our previews here, the bullpen, I could have sworn at the beginning of the offseason that we were going to go out and add just one more arm just for that extra assurance. But the guys we have in-house have been fantastic this spring. Now, it's all of the the names that you would expect, even with Zach Britton out for most of, if not all of the year recovering from Tommy John surgery, right? So Chapman at the top, then you have the setup guys, uh, John Wiseka and Chad Green, the middle relievers, Wandy Peralta, Clay Holmes, Lucas Litke. Uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting someone. And then you have the long relief guys, um, Mike King, Clark Schmidt probably is going to make the, the, the roster. And then Davey Garcia will come up from the minors later in the year. Uh, the bullpens looked very good, and there, there's a lot of depth pieces there. That's one thing I think the Yankees have been really, really good at um, stockpiling the last couple of years is just bullpen depth. You know, we saw during the years like 2013, 2014, 2015, where you just had the Scranton shuttle where it was just a bunch of random guys that you'd never heard of before. Like they weren't in any of the prospect lists at all. And they'd come up for a cup of coffee and then they get sent back down and you'd never hear of them again. Just because the Yankees needed to fill out another uh, spot in their bullpen. So you're talking because about the names of like like the Nick Rumbelows and the Brandon Pinders and yeah. uh, Nick Goodies and all those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was just it was weird because you never knew what to expect. Where in this case, there's a lot of bullpen death, but bullpen death. I mean, actually, that kind of works. Um, bullpen depth, and it's a lot of established uh, relievers or guys with a lot of upside. You know, you look at guys like Mike King and Clark Schmidt, they've been Yankees' top prospects. Um, and Mike King has shown a lot of potential in the last couple of years when he's been pitching. Um, Schmidt was a first-round draft draft pick. So, and then you got Peralta and Litke, who were both very good last year. And we didn't even mention Luis Heal, who was awesome in his first few yeah. starts last year. Did like the league caught up with him towards the end of the season, but uh, he still could could potentially either be mm-hmm. uh, a late, a mid-season fill-in in the rotation, or if they could just say, you know what, just go out there and gas it at 101. Like he could do that too. Yeah, they have a lot of pitching depth depth right now. And I think that's one of the strengths of this team because we saw it last year. The pitching is not the problem for the Yankees right now. And they didn't lose a lot of pitchers from last year. If you look at the roster compared to, you know, this year or this year and last year, it's kind of very, very similar. So if everyone can kind of just keep the same trend, I think they're fine in terms of pitching. And I think, dare I say, that's something that the Yankees organizationally are starting to get kind of good at. Um, you know, with the addition of Matt Blake and, you know, the new, uh, as of, you know, what was it, two years ago, they had the guy from Driveline, Sam Brand. He's the director of pitching. Um, but it's funny because we just talked about Sonny Gray, and he what did he say on the way out? He goes, oh, the Yankees are making me throw breaking balls. I don't want to throw the breaking balls. Like, I don't like those. Um, but, you know, the last 
couple of years, and I think last year especially because their pitching was just so good all year long. Like, um, and you know, one thing to have Garrett Cole, he's Garrett Cole, like he's gonna pitch well. But like, you know, Montgomery was really solid. You know, Nestor Cortez randomly is all of a sudden he's starting and throwing five innings and pitching really, really well. Um, and getting guys like Wandy Peralta and Clay Holmes who were middling or nothing, you know, spectacular, and they become like really good relievers. Um, so I, I guess, dare I say, the Yankees, you know, could be developing or could be showing a trend of just having, you know, good pitching you know, putting their your pitchers in positions to succeed. And uh, hopefully that continues. Look, I mentioned him at the beginning when we talked about the trades, but I completely glazed over when I went through the middle inning. Guys, Miguel Castro fits that mold of the type of player that they've gone after. They look at the analytics. They look at uh, certain trends and the way the guy pitches and the sequencing and the hard hit contact and the strikeout rate and the fastball velocity, right? Whatever it is that, that they focus on, that led them to guys like Wandy Peralta and Clay Holmes last year. Miguel Castro could be another one of those guys because we've seen he's had moments where he is shaky and gives up a bunch of home runs and certainly struggles with the strike zone. But there's other moments when he when he's on. I think he led the Mets in out in uh, appearances last year. He was very solid. Uh, he had dominant stretches for the Orioles in and out of <laughs> when he struggled. So that's another guy that I think Matt Blake is just salivating to get his hands on and craft into exactly what he needs him to be. Well, one of my favorite things about Castro is he's the type of guy who he has such raw stuff as the, as you know, pitching experts say that he shows up on pitching ninja so many times. And it's that type of potential that just makes, you know, guys like Matt Blake look at him and think, if they can kind of solve his control issues and stuff like that, he could be so dominant because like you said, Andrew, he's had stretches where he's just been unbelievably good. But one thing that has caught up to him every single time is his control issues. He has a career whip of 1.4. Like it's, it's, it's obvious that he has issues with walks last year in 70 innings he walked 43 guys which you know is not overly a lot but if you compare it to stretches where he you know went maybe like 10 innings didn't walk a guy then yeah, all of his, a sudden his, you go, walk, his walk per nine rate in his career is like five walk yeah. per nine innings pitch that's that's yeah. that's not great that's not great at all i'd be more concerned if he was throwing to Gary Sanchez as opposed oh, yeah, to yeah, right. you help guys like that. Now, when you have guys like Higashioka and Trevino, and I guess, you know, we don't have much tape on road fit, but like, you know, especially with Trevino, we, we see, we saw the tape the other day, the pitch framing and the steel and strikes here and there. And just, you know, having a really good backstop to throw to. So I think, yeah, I mean, something like that, like Castro, could be in a position to have huge success or turnaround. All right. So we've pretty much covered uh, the, the, the meat and potatoes of this team. Uh, One thing we can touch on real quick um, with the Yankees going with 
16 pitchers on opening day and only 12 position players. That only leaves three bench spots. We know the backup catcher, I think Trevino, is going to be one. We know DJ LeMahieu or Glaber or IKF, whoever's not starting that day, will be the second guy on the bench. That leaves one other spot. And there's been some really interesting performances in, in spring training this year. We saw a guy like Ronald Guzman coming in here really well. He's already been optioned at AAA. Uh, it's really down to two players at this point. And I, I kind of have a preference on who I want it to be, that, that last guy. But I'm curious what your guys' take is, so I won't disclose mine yet. Based on the few guys still in the mix of that last spot, who do you want to see claim it? I have a legitimate question before Alex goes. Um, Has Tim LoCastro's name been said at all, all spring? (laughs) Not not exactly, but I would argue that he's one of the few guys still in the mix. Yeah. So um, that's that's kind of where this comes into question here. I think the Yankees still look really highly on him. They traded from last year to when they were desperate in the outfield. He didn't play that much for tearing his ACL, but they made sure they re-signed him this year. So I think they still see him in their plans. Obviously, he's lightning quick on the bases, plays an awesome outfield. Right. What are you going to get with him okay. hitting? He's, I don't know. So, yeah, he's, he, say, he is in the mix. I don't know if he's going to get it, though. Yeah, he's yeah. not my pick, but otherwise I'll let Alex go. And I'll I, so there's a difference between who I think is actually going to make the roster and who I think should and who I think should is LoCastro because the Yankees have DJ already as kind of their utility guy. So if they're only going to carry three guys, they need another outfielder. And LoCastro is probably your cream of the crop for fourth outfielders because he's one of the fastest players in baseball. Um, he can be kind of, he can be okay with the bat. He's not going to do anything overly great. It's his speed and his defense that are his calling cards. But I honestly think that Marwin Gonzalez is going to be the one that grabs the last spot because of his versatility. And the Yankees know he can play just about every single spot except for catcher. And he has played every single spot except for catcher in his career. Um. So, yeah, I think just because of his versatility and the fact that he's actually had a very good spring offensively is going to be what earns him a spot on the opening day roster. But I would imagine that once rosters change and if slash when they decide to go to four bench players, LaCastro would be the first one to be called up. And the roster is reduced to 26. That's the normal everyday roster remember they're only doing 28 right now to mm-hmm. allow teams to carry a few extra arms because of the shortened spring training and they know guys aren't stretched out so uh if the yankees are going to go 16 and 12 when it gets reduced to 26 are they going to go 14 and 12 or are they going to go 13 and 13 that's that's the question uh but yeah i, I think marwin's the leader in the clubhouse g what do you got uh, yeah, I mean, I was going to say marwin i think just because like alex said he plays every position you know he's got 200 games at first he's got 100 and something games at second and third and short and left field you know he plays everywhere so i think um in line with you know all the other moves right the gallows and and the ikfs and the djs and everything like they have just a lot of guys who play a lot of different positions so 
you know, flexibility was one of the things the Yankees clearly valued um, this offseason. They prioritized um, rather than just having like a bunch of big, strong right-handed guys who can't play any other position than the one that they do. Um, they diversified their skill set. They diversified, you know, they improved on defense. And I think Marwin is a guy who's got that reputation of versatile, good defender. And I think when they signed him, I was of the opinion that, you know, he not that he wouldn't need to do that much, but I think if he had it performed even decently offensively, then he'd have a really good shot to make it. And I think he probably will. I'm going to join in with you guys and say that I, I think Marwin should be the guy. I am leery, though, because there is one other name that's still lingering out there, a guy who has not been optioned to AAA. Is, still is it Brett Gardner? No. No, it's not Brett Gardner. Uh, Miguel Andujar is still technically in the mix, right? And, and for all the efforts the Yankees put in to improving defensively, he kind of bucks that trend. And I'm worrisome that – no. When he's hitting, he's fun as hell, right? With that helicopter swing, slapping mm-hmm. doubles all over the place. Uh, I think he hit like 27 home runs his rookie year. Like, guy was awesome, right? And I was a big proponent of him as far back as like 2016 like, when he was in, I think, high A at that point, right? Uh, and, and so certainly he's an awesome player to have on your team, a nice offensive weapon when he's hitting. Health and consistency has, has plagued him the past few years as has guys who have come and gone, like Clint Frazier and Tyler Wade, right? But well, maybe not Wade so much health, but the ability to hit. Um, I, I still would say that I, I want to see Marwin get it because of the flexibility he has. He can play. I wouldn't put him in center field. I think he could. Uh, I think reasonably you're going to expect him to play potentially six different positions, and that's a really versatile guy. Um, Marwin has two players can play career games in center field. Is how many? Two. Yeah, so like he he could, but they won't do it. He's like your um, break glass in case specifically of emergency. He's played string defensive center fielder. Like it's it's not even like he's played two full games in center field. He has played three innings in center field in his career. Yeah, like but like what what's your your prototypical utility guy? A guy who plays second base and right field, right? Yeah. So he could do a little infield, a little though They probably usually relegate to either of those two spots. Gonzalez can play almost every position other than straight up the middle, pitcher, catcher, center field. But I am a little leery of his bat because you look at what he did with the Red Sox last year. Uh, he looked good in spring for them and then just could not hit for shit. And then they traded him back to Houston. I wouldn't say like they didn't get him from Houston, um, but he did start his career in Houston and then he wasn't really much better there. So is him hitting in spring an aberration or is he like is he are we expected to have him fall off or has he figured it out i, I guess that's the question but yeah I, for the last guy in the bench, honestly, there's, a, there's only one yeah, way to I find mean, out about that too right and what do you really what do you require of him right as your bench player right he's he doesn't need to you know you're not requiring him you don't need him to come in and be a great offensive player. You need him to be solid defensively, and maybe he'll get you some offensive moments during the season. I think he's a pretty good defender. I'm actually intrigued by what he can do at first base. He had a nice stretch and scoop there the other day. Uh, Obviously, he came up as a shortstop, so that's what he'll feel naturally uh, capable of. But 
Uh, he had some some of those some of those nice daddy hacks, right? Like, look, you look at some of those home runs he popped. Like, he got into a nice groove. He was swinging off his back leg, timed everything upright. The the, the swing path was good, not too uppercutty like Joey Gallo, but just like at the slight Ted Williams prototypical uppercut, right? Like, he looked pretty good. So, um, let let I guess we'll see where where that shakes out. But uh, guys, uh, anything else as we're closing up on our, our 2022 season preview? Uh, obviously, first game on Thursday would be against the Boston Red Sox. The weather looks terrible for Thursday in the Bronx right now. So TBD if that gets played on time or at night or they push it to Friday when they have an off day. But yeah, like going into the regular season, what else What else do you guys have, have to say? What uh, opinions, question marks, uh, worries, something you're excited about? What, what, what do you got? I am so I'll do a little I'll do what I'm excited about and what I'm not excited about. I'm so excited to hopefully see a team that can, you know, somewhat be good offensively and not be like how they were last year. And I'm not excited for the first injury, which we know is going to happen at I'm going to say, you know, next 2 weeks minimum, maximum, something like that. I hate you so much for putting. Do you care to universe. make a guess? No, 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 no. I we're don't not want to. This. No, guys, I'm shutting this down right now. <laughs> we're not, we're not, we're not, <laughs> we're not exercising that. Uh, we got to keep some some form of of positive Intrigue. karma going. Yeah. So, so, G, what do you got? Let's follow Alex's template. Something that you're right. excited about. And something I'll start that off. You're concerned about. I'm gonna not follow Alex's template because he put the injury, you know, stuff out there, and I don't want to do that. So, um, I am gonna offer two thoughts that might or might not be connected to each other. Um, one, in terms of the team in general, like the Yankees' organizational philosophy has clearly changed, and it's not like oh, instead of spending two hundred million dollars, we're gonna spend you know, 130, we're going to slash our payroll like the A's did and embarrass themselves. Um, they're going to spend money. They're spending more money, as Brian Cashman said. Yankees fans can be mad about it, but they are spending more money now than they ever have on their roster. And it's just a question of, you know, they're not going to go out and sign every single free agent, every big, you know, 2009, they signed the three best free agents on the market. They're not going to do that. They're going to... By their time, they're going to pick their spots. When Garrett Cole became available, they needed an ace. They went and signed him. You know, this year, they caused Correa's an incredible shortstop. They have prospects very close that they are very high on. They didn't feel the need to do that. So they're still going to spend money. They have flexibility. They have guys like Rizzo and Donaldson on short-term deals. It is what it is. And we just have to accept it. And that's my, you know, I don't know, neutral or maybe slightly negative take um, and the positive one is that I think this team, in spite of all that, you know, expectations and whatever, is going to be very good. And if they are very good, I think we have to get to the point where we can stop being mad about them not having signed Correa or trading for Matt Olson or doing with all that bullshit and just accept the fact that they can be a really good team. Winning cures everything, right? If they go out and they win 92 to 96 games this year... Uh, no one's gonna care that we didn't go out and get those guys in the offseason. The team that I mean, they're still gonna cast assembled did the job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like if they win 97 games, I don't want to hear like, oh, well, they didn't trade for Matt Olson. Like if you're still saying that and they won 96, 97 games, then you're just not 
here to have the a, only argument you're not, you're you have is if, is if Anthony like, Rizzo is hitting a buck 80 with 12 home runs right uh, and then like if if first base is another black hole yeah you could still push that argument be like well we would be a 100 win team we would be the number one overall seed if we had Matt Olson sure I, I get that but as long as everyone plays about I'm and be what out you here expect, manifesting um that one Anthony Rizzo batting 180 is still better for the team than 68 games and always, you know, not good defensively, Luke Voigt. Um, and just in general, I'm out, again out here manifesting. He's batting 300 pre-COVID Luke Voigt or pre-COVID Anthony Rizzo is really good. And Anthony Rizzo for spring is batting 330. So out here displaying, we're putting positive vibes and not Alex's negative injury nonsense into the universe. Yankees are going to have a fun and good team. So being you mentioned Luke Voigt, I have his spring stats up here right now. He has seven hits and 26 at-bats, which is good for 269. Uh, he started off miserably, though, so he's definitely gotten hot. Um, 13 strikeouts and 26 at-bats, that's not what you want. Um, and, look, I love Luke Voigt, and when he's hitting a bunch of home runs, he, he's so much fun when he's doing the Stone Cold Steve Austin with the water bottles in the dugout. He's a, he's a player's player. He's a manager's player. He's a fan's player, right? But like, if the guy's going to just be an injury concern and strike out at a prolific clip, we're honestly, unfortunately, better off without him. But done with that. Yeah, that um, was... Let me let me get on to mine. Um, the two things that I'm going to go optimistic here because I generally am not, and I need to flip my attitude and my my karma. Uh, go forward here. But the two things that I'm excited for this year, one is how Isaiah Kanafalefa and Josh Allenson integrate into the lineup. Uh, we've already seen that they seem to be accepted in the clubhouse. We've seen that like Higgy's already attributed his spring training offense to Josh Donaldson tra- uh, teaching him and coaching him. So that's awesome, right? Now the question is, how are they actually going to perform when the games matter? Um, if Connor Falefa is a 270 singles hitter again with limited walks. He plays good defense. I'll be a little lukewarm on it, I'm going to be honest. I want to see him, again, I can't say he's going to hit like Justin Turner, but some kind of uptick in his game because of the work he did in the offseason. That excites me. And Josh Donaldson, I am super excited to see him in the leadoff spot if, in fact, that's where Aaron Boone likes to go. Uh, he's played... He's, he's led off for the Yankees a bunch over the past few weeks in spring training. Now, DJ did lead off today, but I think Donaldson might be their leadoff hitter, and it's super unconventional, and I love it. Just because you move DJ down to the middle of the order where, yeah, he's not going to hit 30 home runs, but if he's coming up a bunch this year with guys on first and second, first and third, bases loaded, whatever it may be, and instead of you have like Stanton there or Gallo to either strike out or at a home run. DJ's just slapping doubles in the gap and driving in runs all year. That's awesome. So I will take that uh, 12 times out of 10. Uh, and the other thing that I'm super excited about is just the progression of the bullpen because we saw uh, what what they were able to put together last year and they didn't add a, a, a name like Teresa Familia was a free agent or, or any of those other guys, right? But the, the names they have in-house along with the prospects waiting in the wings, there's a lot of depth there, like Alex mentioned. So that's, I think, what's going to carry the team through the year if their offense stumbles from time to time. 
All right, guys. Anything else? No, honestly, I think uh, I think we did a pretty good job covering everything. I think now the only thing we have to do is get through the next couple days and hope that they play a game on Thursday. Yeah, uh, tomorrow is going to be their their last. Tomorrow, obviously, by the time everyone's hearing this, it'll be Tuesday. Uh, Tuesday will be their last spring training game. Then they fly back up north to New York. Uh, the only unresolved things at this point, it's, just, it's really only one thing, is the Aaron Judge extension. There was a super awkward moment on the broadcast day where Carlos Beltran kind of alluded to it already being a done deal. He clarified it a couple minutes later saying like, oh, I'm excited that he's talking about it and he's on his way to getting there. But then Andy Martino tweeted that like the Yankees are around 30 million in the long-term deal, but they haven't confirmed any of the numbers and they haven't officially offered it yet, but that's kind of where it is. And again, Andy Martino, who, who knows what to expect. Sometimes he's spot on, sometimes he's way off. Uh, but that's really the only loose end left because if Judge doesn't sign by Thursday, he set that as a hard deadline and then he's going to play out the season and then be a free agent. So that, that, that might suck. <laughs> Certainly wouldn't be great. All right, well, I think that does it tonight uh, for the 112th episode of the Bronx Bomber Babble podcast. Uh, Again, as always, proud as always to be part of the Six Pack Coverage Network. And again, we are just so excited for the start of the Major League season. Uh, Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time.